We are continuing through our series, Christ Above All, a journey through the book of Colossians, where Christ is presented there as the one who is preeminent among all things in all of creation. This morning we look at a ministry of reconciliation and the ways that uh, Jesus has worked, not only for the reconciliation out there, but in here. We are this morning in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Hear then the word of God. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this new and glorious morning, the beauty of the day, but also the beauty of a mercy and a grace that is new every day for the way you love us. The fact that you have begun a good work in us and you are carrying it on to completion even to the day of Christ. And that that is a work you carry forward through the preaching of your word and the worship of your people. So even in this morning, would you meet us and do that work in us that makes us more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. It's been said that we can evaluate how we are doing, how you are doing by looking at how your relationships are doing. And so often as we go to answer that question, where do we look to answer it? One of the places you can look is to say, how are my relations doing? And my relationships doing? How strong are they? And where, where is the brokenness in my life? Because when relationships are broken and when we're at odds with people, at least, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm at odds and when there's a brokenness and when I know that there is something going on, it it stresses me. There is a constant sense of something that's not right. And there are times, there are many times, it keeps me up at night. I have trouble sleeping or I'll wake up in the middle of the night and it's going over in my head that there is something that's not right and it needs to be fixed. And for me, some of the most touching stories and scenes that I see in movies or here in, in various places are the stories of, of redemption and reconciliation. There are so many of them in movies, even commercials, when you, when you see that, you know, fathers and sons that haven't spoken for years, and that moment comes when, when finally the heart softens and they forgive each other, and that, that moment of reconciliation, it, it, it tears at me. I was looking this week at um, the movie Fireproof, if you see it, a Kirk Cameron movie about marriage, and a marriage that was uh, struggling on its last leg, on the verge of divorce, and portrays really... I think accurately and powerfully the brokenness that can, that can happen in a relationship. And you've probably heard about it. The guy does a love dare. He does a number of, of, of weeks of, of doing the acts of love toward his wife, even though his heart's not in it at first. But what he finds in the process, though, is that it begins to change his heart. His heart softens. And he begins to see himself more accurately. And, and it begins to affect his wife. And there's a scene toward the end of the movie where he's sitting on the bed. And she's like, what's going on? You know, and they talk about this. And, um, but but there's that moment when he, when he slides off to the bed onto the floor with tears in his eyes. And he, just, and he says, you know, I am, I am just so sorry. I am sorry. I have, 
I have not loved you well. I have, I have loved other things more than I've loved you. I have, I have trampled on you in so many ways, in my words and in my actions. And, and I have been so selfish, and I am so sorry. And I've asked God to forgive me, and, and I'm asking you. And I'm asking you, and I hope that someday, someway, you'll find it in your heart. And there's that moment where you're just... You know that hardness that is in your heart, and you can think of relationships right now that you know where the, there's distance, where there's that whatever, and there's a little bit of hardness, there's a little bit of just unwillingness, there's a little bit of that's just the way it's going to be. The brokenness. God says that he is in the reconciling business, so to speak. Right, that God is a, a reconciling God. He is in the business of bringing healing to broken relationships. That that is who he is. That is what he does. And he says, first relationship is that relationship with him. The relationship between humanity and him. Each of us, you and him. That's the first and foremost. Wherever there was once alienation and hostility. Where alienation and hostility reigned. It was in power. It was in charge. He brings forgiveness. He brings peace. And restored friendship. And that's what he says in verse 21. You who were once alienated and hostile in your minds doing evil deeds. Paul says that the human race at one time. That, that, that all of us and the, and the human beings in general have been alienated and hostile to their creator. Their brokenness has existed. That something is wrong and it's, it's not the way that it's supposed to be and that this hostility shows itself in the things that we do, right? He says in evil deeds and the things that we do, the wor- in our words and, and in our actions, we have trampled him. We've loved other things more than we've loved him or instead of loving him or we should have loved him best and we haven't. And, you know, to some people, this comes as a shock. It's not unusual to share this kind of thing with someone and to say that, you know, that that we, that the world or that they, to suggest that they might be alienated and hostile to God, that that this is the shape of their relationship. And a lot of people, this comes as a shock and they would say, I'm not alienated from God. I'm not hostile. I'm not hostile to him. Why would you say that? But I would ask the question and have, how do you know that you're not alienated from God? How do you know that hostility doesn't exist? And the answer will be, and what they'll tell you, and usually what anybody would come from would be, well, I don't feel alienated from God. I don't feel hostile. It's not, where I, it's not what I think that I am at the moment. It's not what I feel. I'm not trying to be that. But I would suggest that that doesn't mean that you aren't. So here's the thing about relationships. They take two people, right? They, they, they involve two people. That's the nature of a relationship. It involves both of us. And, and here's the thing in relationships. Sometimes we need to be told what the situation is and what the relationship is like. Sometimes the truth of the situation and the truth of what's going on in the relationship has to be revealed to us, right? And examples, there are lots of times in relationships, I can't tell you how many times, where I'm going along as if everything is just hunky-dory, and somebody comes into my office or catches me somewhere to tell me it's not. Has that never happened to you? You think everything is fine. You You don't know, but somebody stops you to tell you, I'm not happy with you. 
Really? I had no idea. You know, somehow that I have been insensitive or offended or felt like I somehow betrayed them or let them down or some way. I mean, it's not happened to me just once. It's happened to me many times where people have entered into my life to tell me my relationship isn't what I thought it was. They are offended. It's me, hurt by me, feeling alienated a little bit from, from me. Sometimes that comes as a revelation. I didn't realize that I had been that way. And sometimes a revelation is not just in terms of the fact that my relationship is more alienated and broken than I thought it was, but actually it often comes as a revelation that I have been more insensitive, offensive, than I was being fully aware of at the time. Those revelations come and, and change the way we see the whole relationship. The fact that I didn't know it doesn't mean the brokenness is not there. I'm just oblivious to it. <clears throat> if God were offended by our attitudes and behaviors, how would we know it? We sometimes go along as if everything is hunky-dory. Right? And we think everything is just fine. Why? Because I feel like it is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at him or I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm being hostile. But the reality is we may be trampling on him by our words and our deeds and and insensitive to him, not loving him first the way that we should, putting other things first, and, and, and in that sense, bringing hurt and alienation. Sometimes we need to be told what the situation is. <clears throat> From Genesis to Revelation, God has been telling us there is a brokenness that exists in the world. And that brokenness that exists in the wide world is a, is, is a, is a fruit of the, of the brokenness that exists in the relationship between God and humanity, that there is a brokenness, and he's trying to tell us, and sometimes we're oblivious to it, and we want to go on forward, but God keeps saying in so many ways, it's not, it's not right, it's not fine. Revelation, or Romans chapter 5, verse 10, he says this, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, while we were enemies, that is, alienated, and where hostility existed. And God says the situation, as I see it, is that we're at odds. He uses a very strong word, the word enemies, alienated and hostile. There's a brokenness. But it is while we were enemies that he was willing to reconcile through the death of his son. And how much more when we're reconciled where there is forgiveness, there is it's another way of talking about salvation. How much more we are saved when we are reconciled and forgiven when the relationship is made right. You know, it was earlier in my life, I remember saying in different times when confronted with that brokenness, and I would say things like, I don't understand what the problem is. Everything is fine, right? I'm like, I'm fine. I don't understand why you're not, right? It never worked for me, right? Telling somebody else that it should be just fine. And until we accept the revelation, the truth, that everything is not fine, our relationships will not improve, and they will not heal, and they will not grow. Who in your life is trying to tell you it's not fine, and you're having trouble hearing it, not wanting to hear it? And maybe, maybe they've even stopped trying to tell you and so you know that that distance is there. You, you know that there is alienation. 
maybe even just downright hostility. And it exists in one way or another. It hasn't been addressed. There are consequences when we refuse to hear and to acknowledge and to repent and to forgive and to reconcile. There are consequences if we refuse to acknowledge and deal with the hurt and the offense that exists in relationships. In our relationships, the brokenness will deepen, the alienation will increase. And when we're talking about the relationship that we have with the God of the universe, the consequences are astronomical. And in the Bible, it tells us the consequences are actually eternal. When that that brokenness exists and he tries to tell us and we won't acknowledge it. The concern on Paul's mind as he's writing this, as we see it in verse 22, is the day that we are presented to him, right? In verse 22, as he goes on, that once we were alienated and hostile, 22, he says, and, and he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order that, and this is why he's, what he's thinking about and where he's going, in order that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, right? So in Paul's mind, he's thinking about, as he's addressing this whole issue of reconciliation, he's thinking about the day when we will be presented before him. He's thinking about it. It's a reference. It's a a soft way of talking about the day of judgment, the day when we will stand and be held accountable before God. And that's why Paul is writing about this reconciliation, not only what God has done, but calling people to, to recognize the brokenness and to respond to him and to try through God's grace, as we'll talk about in a minute, to see it made right. See, as we think about the day in relation to the day of judgment, we make several mistakes in our world. And it's quite common these days simply to reject it, right? To to reject the Bible's clear teaching that there will be a day of judgment. It's pretty common right now for people to believe in heaven, but not hell. In other words, there is a future. I want to believe there's something beyond this life, but I'm going to go with all the positives. I'm going to believe it's all, you know, I'm going to, you know, and there is, I mean, it's a very common, you'll talk to people, how many, when you ask people, how many people believe in heaven and how many people believe in hell, it's, it's an interesting statistic. A lot of people will just do, you know, they just outright reject the biblical notion that there is actually a judgment and accountability of heaven and hell rather than, well, the second way that we, the mistake that we make in thinking about it is simply to ignore the reality of that day. In other words, that you and I would nod the head, of course we believe. It's in the Bible, whatever. But we live in a way that, that you wonder whether we believe. Right? We, in other words, we ignore the reality of that day. We, we don't actually live to be ready. See, Paul is writing because he's concerned, you know, in order that you will be in this state, holy and blameless, on the day that you stand before him. I'm concerned as I write to the church and, and as we do our ministry in the world, his concern is that day. He thinks about that day. He lives for that day. He wants you to be ready for that day. That's what's going on in his mind as he writes it. There's nothing more clearly, more consistently taught throughout Scripture than the reality of that day and of heaven and hell. And so the last mistake that we make is assuming that everything is fine. And this would be often, I told you before, I mean, we've done in my past with InterVarsity and some of the evangelism projects and stuff that we did on the beaches in Florida where we would go and and strike up conversations and spiritual conversations and try to have, um, you know, uh, 
a, a gospel conversation with people and some, you know, you'd ask for permission and if they were into it, you'd ask them questions like when you get there to heaven and you stand before God, why should I let you in? You know, that kind of diagnostic question. What are you trusting in on the day that you stand before him? Why would I let you in? And what is the answer that you mostly get? Is that I was pretty good. I didn't sin too much, right? I haven't been too bad. In other words, I assume that everything is fine and I have nothing to fear. I don't recognize or I don't believe that there's any alienation and hostility that might cause a problem on that day, right? I'm a, and the reality is that we often live oblivious to the God is trying to tell us it's not fine and that day will not be fine apart from his grace that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it very clearly in his teaching, Matthew 16, 27, out of the dozens of places where Jesus talks about it. We get more of our doctrine of hell from the lips of Jesus than the lips of any other writer or person in Scripture. Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and his glory and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. He says the day is coming. Right? This is Jesus' firm teaching for those of us who follow him. Paul says it as clear as can be, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says the day is coming. Nothing is more clear in Scripture than, than this fact. So it is not wise to reject it, ignore it, or make assumptions about it. But the good news is this, the good news of the gospel is this, that because God is the one who knows that, that it's not fine and the relationship is broken, God has taken the initiative to do all that is necessary to bring healing, reconciliation, and restoration to his relationship with us. God has taken the initiative to do these things. Verse 22, as we said, he God has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, forgiven on that day when you stand before him. Right? And so the three things we see in there, I think, is that God did it. He did it through the body of Jesus and that he did it so that we would be presented blameless. Right? We see it. God did it. He did it through the body of Jesus so that we could be presented blameless and forgiven on that day. Right? God did it. He is now reconciling the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God knew that it wasn't fine and that it's not the way that it should be. And so he has sent his son. He has moved toward us. He has moved, taken the steps necessary to bring the healing that is there. It is the love of God that brings reconciliation and takes the initiative. He is reaching out. And he's doing it, it says, in the body of flesh by death. Now, that's an odd phrase, um, right? And, and, and it's kind of, but you have to take it in the fuller context, in the, body, in the body of flesh by death. Look at verse 20, just going back to the last time we were here, and it says, through him, that is through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. Right? And so through the body of flesh by his death is nothing other than Jesus' body and his death on the cross. That is through Jesus' actual, physical, in the body, in the flesh, speaking to those who, you know, there were people around at that time who were saying Jesus wasn't a real person or he, you know, he was, he was God so that he wasn't truly a man. He wasn't truly in the, he wasn't fully human, wasn't fully in the flesh. And, you know, as we've already tried to say a couple of weeks ago, that he was fully God, he was fully man in the body of his flesh. 
He really and truly died on the cross to pay our debt and the debt of our sin. And so he does it to bring forgiveness and reconciliation and peace, to purchase our forgiveness so we can be holy and blameless. And what this all says is that God wants a relationship with you. Where there was brokenness, see, what we tend to do is when it starts to break down, when it starts to get hard, when we start feeling like, you know, they did me wrong, you know, their attitude is bad. You know, whatever it is that we feel about them, what do we tend to do? We just move away. We let the alienation grow. We just stop. We just stop relating, right? We, we shut that door, that chapter, and we tend to move on. We avoid them in the hallways. We don't sit in that row if they're in church. Uh, you know, we just don't, we used to call them out, we just don't, we just let it happen. We just, we just let the hardness get harder and we let things be broken and move on. And God says, no, brokenness is ungodly, right? He's a, you know, he's a, he's a fixer, he's a healer, he's a reconciler. He's like, you know, brokenness, I am reconciling all things, heaven and earth. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix all of it. Like, we're not supposed to live with brokenness. There's a sense of that we have to because it's not going to be all right till that day, but we shouldn't be okay with it. We shouldn't let it win the day over us. God wants a relationship with you, and he wants you forgiven and blameless on that day. And God takes the initiative to move toward us and to do what needs to be done. And, and it's only as we accept God's revelation that all is not well and that there is an alienation that we need to be forgiven, that we will make peace with God. The good news, he's done all that is necessary through Jesus the body of his flesh, his blood of the cross, all the different ways that he does, says it and does it, that if you will put your faith in Jesus and what he did, dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, if you will trust him, put your faith in him and follow him, then God will forgive you and he will come into your life in a new way and he will bring healing in your relationship with him that you might know him and love him and walk with him all your days. And on that day, when you stand before him, you will stand holy and blameless in Christ. But it's not enough to start well. And to do that, and there are many of us here today, if you haven't done that, I encourage you that not to let the day end without putting your faith and trust in Christ for that day. But for many of us, it's old hat. And you're saying, I've heard that before, been there and done that. And that's where Paul throws in, I think, is he, he doesn't leave you there, right? He, he throws in the big if in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast and um, not shifting from the gospel. So continue, stable, steadfast, not shifting. Which implies there's a danger. If we remain, right? He implies that there's a danger. He gives a warning that we have to continue to be vigilant about our faith. And for many of us who have walked with Jesus, just like a marriage too, where we can begin to take things for granted. You know, you walk with God for since a childhood and decade after decade. And you get to be in, uh, you know, in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. There's so much we begin to take for granted. So much we begin to... It just becomes familiarity begins to breed, you know, a bit of things that shouldn't be there in our, in our hearts. We can 
we can be moved. He uses these words, stable, steadfast, um, stable, the word literally means to be grounded, to have the foundation into the ground. It's to be the found, built in a strong foundation, in the bedrock, in the earth. And, and, and steadfast simply means to be tied down and immovable. Right? So he says that your faith needs to be grounded in this way. And then he says the third one simply sums up the point of the first two. Stable, steadfast, it is not shifting. Staying put. Staying where it should be, no matter what wind, what waves, what forces may rise to push you off that foundation. How many of the pictures did you see from the hurricane? The foundation is here and the house is here, you know, or the house is here, you know, that the, the shifted off. What, and he says, what he is saying is no matter what wind, what waves, what forces rise against our faith, that it is to remain Firm on its foundation, unmoved, not shifting. What can move us off our foundation? So many things. Forces we're not always aware of. The wind that just constantly blows against us. The winds of temptation. The pleasures of this world. To love things more than we love God. Right? The wind of uh, temptation, the deceitfulness of riches. To have our hearts and our minds and our lives begin to just be full of things that are not about that day, you know, and distract us so that we're ignoring that day and we're not living for it. So many things are forces of waves that continually beat and seek to erode and to push us off the foundation. Suffering or persecution that can come against us. Cares, desires. They're constant forces that push. We've seen it in so many ways in our lives and in churches. But here's the thing. Faith is not something you do once back then, which is too often the way that faith is done. Oh, I put my faith in Jesus. It was 1985. You know, whatever. And then I've gone on, and, but I'm not building on that foundation. I'm not living on that foundation. I'm not living it for that day. I'm ignoring that day. I'm, you know, I am all about all these other things and not about him the way that I should be. But faith must constantly live in the present. Faith is a present thing. It's, the question is, do you believe in him right now? Are you loving him right now? Are you following him right now? Not 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Or, it's, a, it's a constantly present thing. That's any relationship. Are you with him right now? Are you walking together right now? As churches, there's great danger in all of this. We see the wind of culture constantly trying to pull us off the foundation. Every denomination has seen it. Everyone, not, not calling, I'm going I'm to call out names, but I'm going to put ours in there. Like all, all of them, this is the danger. The, the wind and the erosive forces of culture and the world, the flesh and the devil. You know, and denominations have started strong. We're celebrating the 500th year of the anniversary this year, 1517. 2017, 500 years, Lutheranism that started with fiery Luther, rediscovering the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone, right? This denomination that stood against the forces, literally of, of, of military forces trying to tear it down and bring it back, and Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, and, and that denomination has and again, I'm going to say there, there are good and godly people who know and love Jesus in every denomination. And I understand, but a lot of denominations as a, as a whole and as an organization have shifted away from biblical faith. 
Right? Lutheranism has struggled there. Anglicanism has struggled there. Episcopalianism has seen uh, you know, all of these Reformation faiths that have seen splits in the, the Episcopal Church, a split, and a lot of the ones that want to stay to continue in the faith have to start finding dioceses outside of America in order to have a, 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 a someone evangelical and biblical to, to serve under. We see in, in uh, you know, the fiery faith of Methodism, John Wesley, one of the great evangelists of all time, and the fiery foundations of that movement sh- shaking the world as part of the, the great evangelical awakenings of the 1700s. And we see that denomination right now is being torn and on the verge of a split. I would not be surprised to see a split in that denomination in, in the next few years. Um, be, over these issues, biblical Faith continuing in the faith, steadfast and firm, and those who who accommodating the culture and, and the whatever in in our own denomination where the splits have happened. Presbyterian, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the country that is that has begun to move away from its biblical foundations and moorings in, in this denomination, the PCA, exists. In fact, we call ourselves the continuing Presbyterian Church. Because we want to continue in the faith, not shifting and stable. And to do that, we've had to leave and form a whole new denomination, a continuing, historic, biblical, gospel-focused denomination. And, every, and so every church and every person faces this struggle because the forces are constant and erosive. And we have to stand, the call to stand is daily. Through the years, we get lazy David and Solomon, who start so strong, and we see later in life, both of them making huge mistakes and moving away, failing, stumbling, and getting presumptuous and getting lazy in their faith, and we cannot do it. So let me just give you a few quick things as we're going in, and the first is to look to your moorings, look to your foundations. There's nothing more important in your life. Whatever else you're doing, whatever job you have, whatever else is going on, there's nothing more important than your foundations of your faith in Jesus Christ and living for that day. There is nothing more important than to look to our own hearts and to look to our own souls and to make faith a daily reality that we don't move out of. One of the scariest sentences in Scripture is when Jesus looks at those who are, are talking to him and he says, on that day when some come and, and they say, didn't we not do all these things? Didn't we know you? And Jesus says to them, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Somehow they were not living for that day. Right? Their faith was not, you know, was a past event rather than a present reality. You know, where we need to live relying on the gospel and on Jesus every day and to walk with him, not moved, not shifting. What he is saying is that our final blamelessness on that day, when we're presented before him, is going to be contingent on, depends on our perseverance in the faith here and now. The only true test of perseverance is perseverance. Alexander McLaren says, if we do not look to our moorings, we shall drift away downstream and never know that we're moving. Many a man and a woman is completely unaware how completely his Christian faith is gone until some crisis comes and he finds that he needs it. 
And so it has to be nurtured corporately. It has to be nurtured privately. So often today, you know, the other trend is, you know, people not going to church, not going to church regularly, can take it or leave it. You know, a lot of it's just me and Jesus. And what I find, what I tend to see, at least in folks, is those who are not connected and lighting that fire and warming to the, to the, to the faith of others and, and giving our worship in this kind of impassioned, true thing. And if we're not sitting under God's word, we will drift like the frog in the kettle. And so I find that those who have often forsaken church often find themselves where they don't want to be because we need each other. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. He says, encourage one another today while it is still called today. He calls us to love our enemies. And when he calls us to do that, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. So if you think about that, when he says, love your enemies, and you're thinking... First of all, a lot of you are saying, I don't have any enemies. Yes, you do. Come on now. All right, who are you mad at? Who are you avoiding in the hallway? Whose pew are you not sitting in? What family member you don't want to call? You know, who's the guy at work that you see him come and you go down the other hall really quick? You know, who's the, who, I, you know, you know who they are. There's a thousand ways. Your heart is just, is hard. You're not moving, you're not moving toward them. You're moving away from them. Jesus says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Move toward them. Be a reconciler to those that you are mad at, to those who you are avoiding, the people who are bugging you, the ones you're looking down on, the ones you're frustrated with, the ones who have hurt you, the ones or whatever. Jesus says, those are your enemies. And he says, do good to them. Move toward them. Love them. Forsake your anger. Forsake your bitterness. Move away from hardness. Don't get hard in your heart. Move toward people. Right? Be about the business of trying to make your enemies your friends. That's what God is about, right? Isn't that the business God is in? Making his enemies his friends. Well, you move toward people and fight the, the natural gravity pull of the flesh to let relationships die and be broken, that we walk. And so that's the third, I would say, is that God has made you a minister of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5.18, he says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them, forgiving them, and then entrusting to us the message we're ambassadors of Christ, and he says, what kind of ambassador you are? An ambassador of peace, an ambassador of healing, an ambassador of reconciliation. You are given a ministry, literally each of us, he says, you've been given a ministry to heal brokenness, to not be a part of it, to not perpetuate it, to not let it solidify in your heart. Calling people to be right with God where you live, work, and play, local and foreign mission, gospel people with a message of healing. And I would simply leave it with this and to say it begins at home. And it begins right here. It is difficult to tell people we have a message of reconciliation for you when they look at us and see us so broken and so at odds with each other, so unwilling to forgive, so unwilling to move toward. How can we share a message of reconciliation when we're not living the gospel of grace and forgiveness ourselves amongst ourselves. 
Maybe it's your spouse or your children or your extended family or someone at work or in the church or in your neighborhood or in the pew who leave you with the prayer of St. Francis. It's actually debatable whether St. Francis originated this prayer, but here it is. And I think it's, it's right. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me be the sower of love. Where there's injury, let me be the one who is willing to pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there is despair, let me be the bringer of hope. Where there's darkness, let me be the bringer of light. Where there's sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that I may be not so much to seek to be consoled, but to console, to move toward, not to be understood, but to understand and to to listen, not to be loved, but to be the giver of love and the pour out of love. For it is in giving that we receive. It's in pardoning that we are pardoned. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Be reconciled to God. And be a reconciler. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. Father, we confess that in our lives there is brokenness, that our relationships are not what they should be, that there, is, there are places, Father, where we need to hear that things are not fine. And it's not fine with you that it's not fine. And then in many ways we betray the very gospel itself when we refuse to be the reconciler. Oh God, come near and break our hearts with your gospel afresh. That even as we have been befriended and forgiven and loved and moved toward, that we would rise up as agents of peace and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.